Let's clap our hands to the Lord all over the building. Give God some praise. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 We thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. So good to be in the house of the Lord with you this morning. So thankful for what God is doing in, uh, in the lives of these young people. And I believe we'll carry over in the lives of the adults, the big young people. Amen. I, I remember hearing a story by Nona Freeman telling a story. And she said she was overseas. Uh, I want to say Ethiopia, but it, I, I could be mistaken. I know it was on the continent of Africa. But she said we were, we were fixing to go to a crusade next to the uh, parsonage. There was a, a big stadium or whatever she said and we had prayed the ministry had prayed and 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 we started walking out of that door and she said as I started walking I felt like I was walking in water and she said it felt like the water was coming up and getting higher and she said pretty soon it felt like I was just floating in a sea of water I could hear the prayer and the praise of the people and it felt like I was just floating and she said I asked the Lord Lord, what am I feeling? And the Lord spoke to her and said, perfect unity. When everybody wants the same thing, there is no friction. There is no restriction. I believe this morning it would be pleasing to God if we all wanted the same thing. And that is for the Lord to have His way in our life and in our family and in our church. I believe we can have that this morning. I'm thankful that we serve a loving and gracious and compassionate God. The Bible says that the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. Some people have a warped viewpoint of who God is. And I'm thankful today that I'm not God because heaven would be a lonely place. Because we're quick to write people off and we're quick to put people in categories based upon their faults and their failures. But I'm thankful this morning that God is slow to anger and full of compassion. And you know what that tells me? That there's hope for everybody here this morning. That we can all further our relationship with God. Amen. Turning your attention to the book of Acts, chapter number 27. Give honor to your pastor. Thankful for his trust and what he means in our life to our family. You know, time flies by fast, even when you're not having fun. And my first time I ever preached at Greater Life Church was January 29th, 2012. And it seems like just yesterday that, uh, that we were here, and we've come a long ways. And I'm thankful for this church and your pastor. I believe today I can, I can preach for the next few minutes what I feel on my heart, if you'll keep in mind. That that's preacher minutes, which is subject to interpretation. Verse 27, but when the 14th night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria about midnight, the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country. 
and sounded and found it 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea under color, as though they would have cast an anchor out of the foreship. Paul said to the centurion, And to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. Except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Except. There's an exception. I want to preach a little while. The only exception to your salvation. The only exception to your salvation. Would you lift your hands with me one more time? Let's ask the Lord to speak to our heart. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. I'm thankful for your wonderful people that have gathered in this place today desiring to eat off the table that the Master has spread. We're so thankful, Lord, for your word, for it speaks to us in every phase of our life. And I believe today would be no different. I ask that you would talk to every single person. Lord, give us an open heart, an open mind, that we can receive the word with gladness. And we can apply it today. We thank you for what you're going to do. And everybody claps their hands unto the Lord this morning. Amen. Lord bless you today. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. The only exception to your salvation. The Word of God today is indeed a tremendous source for direction and encouragement, wisdom and inspiration. Beyond, though, the inspirational realm, beyond the the uplifting realm, I believe, And I can say it uh, with a surety that it is the most accurate historical book that's ever been penned. There is no error in the Word. There is no contradiction in the Word. And so beyond the realm of poetry, beyond the realm of revelation, we can gain insight into the lives of men and women who walked this earth just like you and I, men and women who had real struggles and real emotions, and, and they went through the seasons of life that visits us all. You see, they had questions. They had concerns. They had thoughts that perhaps God did not know where they were at. Their behavior at times was a cause for concern. Yet we can read in this book that through it all, the Bible says they walked with God. You see, we have the luxury of seeing the end of their story. But they did not have that luxury. They were living it. 
They could not pick up and read the writings of Paul. They could not read what happened to to Jesus at the end of his life. They were living this. It was unfolding every day that they woke up. It was was another, another page of the chapter. They couldn't read. But we today gather and we have the opportunity to look at this book and we can see proof positive that the end of a thing is indeed greater than the beginning of a thing. How many knows today that the end of a thing is still greater than the beginning of a thing? I believe today we can all agree with what the old song says that living for God gets sweeter as the days go by. The world doesn't get any better. The world is only deteriorating. But living for God gets better every single day. You see, I have learned that the, it seems that the, the, uh, the effects of sin or the benefits of sin is front-loaded. You get all the good stuff at the beginning and it gets worse as you go. But living for God is backloaded. You get a taste of it at the beginning. And as you go, it gets better and better and better. There was a, there was an old there was an old advertisement. It was a it was a real serene, peaceful night and there was a campfire there and and there was a man a real, a real rugged looking man and he he had a Marlboro. And the caption on this particular scene said, it doesn't get any better than this. And you know what? I'll have to agree with them because it doesn't get any better than that. The world wants to paint a big picture and lure people in. But honey, it doesn't get any better when you go in the world. But how many can say this morning, every day I wake up living for God, it's better than it was yesterday. It's better than it was last week. Honey, living for God gets sweeter as the days go by. Oh, in his presence there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand there are pleasures evermore. Money can't buy it. Degrees can't earn it. Pedigree can't inherit it. And doctors can't prescribe it. But Jesus said, Whosoever will, let him come and drink of the waters of life freely. Can we clap our hands unto the Lord this morning? Hallelujah. The Lord used one named Saul to open the door to the Gentiles, and perhaps no one had a greater appreciation for this open door than Saul did. Later becoming the Apostle Paul, Saul lived a life of harsh opposition to the gospel. Saul adamantly opposed Christianity. He did everything within his power to stop the spread of the gospel and of the name of Jesus Christ. But all it took was one experience with the Lord. Can I remind someone today, all it takes 
is one encounter with God to change your life. It doesn't take a, a, a handwriting on the wall. It doesn't take 50 men to lay hands on you. I, I want to remind you how powerful the presence of God is. I was at a revival not too long ago, and there was a man there that, that God had filled with the Holy Ghost, and we baptized him in Jesus' name. And I got to talk to the pastor afterwards, and the man was a severe alcoholic. He, he, was, he was bound by alcohol addiction. And he came in on a Wednesday night, and all he did was sit in the back of the church. Nobody laid hands on him. Nobody went and even prayed with him. He just sat in the presence of God. And instantly, God delivered him from alcohol and set him. That's what the presence of God can do. I'm thankful for the laying on of hands. But, honey, nothing can take the place of the power and the presence of God. It's powerful once. So Paul, Paul had an encounter with the Lord. And upon his conversion, he walked in a dimension that few, if any, have ever walked before. He received an abundance of revelation. He was intimate with God, yet he faced hardship like you would never imagine. And it was the book of Acts that records much of his journey. It was toward the end of his journey as a prisoner that Paul once again was a voice of reasoning in the midst of doubt and concern. On a ship, they were transporting these prisoners. In a powerful storm arose named Eurachlodon, and people began to panic because things were getting so bad. But in verse 22, we see Paul rise and say, Be of good cheer. Well, there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. Well, there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. After this word went forth, some time had passed, and it was on the fourteenth day that the shipmen thought, that they were close to land. The Bible records they threw out their anchors and they were about to flee the ship. And Paul told the centurion or the guard that was there with them, except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. The only way that they're going to make it is if we stay in the ship. I know they think they can do it on their own, but except they abide in the ship. I know they think they've got it under control, but except they abide in the ship. I know it looks like that they can handle it on their own and they know what's best for their life. Can I walk in the Holy Ghost for a little while this morning? Except they abide in the ship. They may not see the consequences of it right now, but except they abide in the ship, they cannot be saved. Hear me this morning, ma'am and sir. God hath in 
instituted the means whereby we can make it from the realm of destruction. God has put in place the means whereby we can make it safely to the other side and step on the shores of glory. It is a ship that God called the church. For the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church and except ye abide in the ship. You see, God gave us the means. He said, I'm going to create an opportunity that everybody can get on the ship. I'm going to create an opportunity that everybody can come to the church and everybody can have the opportunity to be saved. Doesn't matter where they're from. Doesn't matter how much money they have or they don't have. Doesn't matter who the family is. Everybody can get on the ship. Everybody can get on the ship. What's on the ship? There's grace in the ship. There's mercy in the ship. There's forgiveness in the ship. And as long as you stay on the ship, God can work out your salvation. There's an opportunity on the ship to be saved. I can get on the ship with all of my mess-ups and all of my problems and everything else going wrong in my life. I can get on the ship and I can have an opportunity to make it to the other side. But there's one exception to my salvation. Except I abide in the ship. You see, as long as I'm on the ship, as long as God sees that I'm trying to make it, as long as God sees uh, that I'm headed in the right direction, uh, then God will give me grace. God will give me mercy. God will help me every way that he can. Uh, But if I get off of the ship, God is under no obligation to the salvation of my soul. In the Old Testament, they had what they called cities of refuge. They were walled cities. They were cities of protection. And anybody that was in any type of turmoil or trouble, they could run to that city. And as long as they were running to the place of refuge, then everybody there would defend that person and fight for that person. The enemy could be on their tail and they were going to fight trying to get them to that place of refuge. And once they got there, they could stay the rest of their life. They could stay there. They could. They could. They were protected from everything that, that was trying to come against them. But if they ever decided, I don't like it here. It's too restricted here. There's too many rules here. I don't like what this person did here, and I, I think I'm going to leave the place of refuge. Then the enemy could be outside of the door. And they were under no obligation to defend that person in any way. You know what the difference was? The difference was direction. As long as I'm running to the ship, and I'm running to the church, and I'm running to God, then God will do everything he can to defend and to fight and to protect and to bring me in because he wants everybody to get on board. He wants everybody to be forgiven. He wants everybody to have an opportunity to make it to heaven. But the moment... I turn around and I say, you know what? I'm going, I'm going back that way. 
moment I say, you know what, I'm going to jump ship, then God is under no obligation. He is under no obligation to defend me, to protect me, to rescue me, because I'm running away from God. Can I tell someone this morning, it's time that we get serious about our salvation. There is nothing in this world more important than making sure I'm saved. I believe today that we are using a flawed measuring stick. I believe that we are using the measuring stick of the world to measure what is important in this life. I want to remind you this morning, what you live in is not important. What you drive is not important. What you wear is not important. Where you're going after here is the most important thing in this life is my family saved am I saved this morning nothing is more important than being saved we are living in a world where it's easy to just go through the routine it's easy just to get lost in the shuffle and let the things the cares of life float you downstream I'm sure today when Noah began to preach that there is rain coming and there's destruction coming those first few times it probably registered in their mind but after 50 years it probably became common after 75 years it probably became just old hat. Oh, they've been telling us this for a long time, that destruction's coming. They've been telling us this for years. My grandma was telling us this, and she just, she lived to be old, and she passed away. They, that preacher's been saying that for years. That preacher's been preaching that for years. You see, it's easy just to let it get in your mind. Oh, he's just saying that again. But one day, there was that ship that Noah had finished building, and the door was open for everybody anybody that wants to be saved you just get on the ship anybody that wants to be saved everybody had an opportunity you just get on the ship and after so many years they it lost its impact in their life it probably didn't affect in their mind but when that door was shut and that first drop of rain began to fall I'm sure they were wishing I wish I would have got on the ship. My friend, this morning we have an opportunity today to be born of the water and of the Spirit and to get on the ship because God indeed is coming again. And only those that's on the ship are going to get to make it to the other side. Money isn't important. Worldly pleasures are not important. Career is not important. But Peter said, save yourself from this untoward generation. Untoward. That means that we're living in a generation that is not moving towards God. This, everything about this generation is moving away from God. And I, I, we have bought into the rhetoric, and I'm not trying to disrespect uh, anything, but we have bought into the rhetoric that this is a Christian nation. Now, I want, you to, I want to explain where I'm coming from. There are Christians that live in the nation. 
But that does not make it a Christian nation. Because I promise you, in legislator sessions, they're not reading the Bible to figure out what to do. So, just because we're in the world doesn't mean we're of the world. Nothing about the world is going towards God. So Peter said, you have to save yourself from this untoward. Your preacher can't do it. Your family can't do it. That's why it delights my soul to see young people who say, you know what? I'm not going to wait for anybody else to save me from an untoward generation. But I'm going to live for God. I'm going to get on the ship. I'm going to go to glory. You do what you want, but I'm going to make it to heaven. Come on, somebody, let's worship God. Everybody can get on the ship today. Hallelujah. Romans said in that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. I'm not one to get caught up in pre or mid or post-trib. I've developed the theory I'm pan-trib. It's just all going to pan out. I don't have control over it anyway. You can get yourself sick worrying about all that junk. You know what? I'm just going to focus on living for God. I'm going to focus on making sure I'm doing everything I can to be pleasing to the Lord. I can't control all this stuff anyway. I can control what I do. I can control my family. I can control where I put my place, my importance. And I choose today to make sure I stay on the ship. You see, don't let your conditions determine your commitment. You live on the, you get on the, in a boat on the water any length of time, I promise you, the sea is going to get a little rough. You're going to get in a storm. Those waters are going to begin to get troubled. You get on that boat any length of time, something is going to rise up. Job said, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. There's things in this world and in this life that you have no control over. But I'm not going to let the severity of the storm determine my commitment to the ship. I'm not going to get angry and blame the God for what I have to go through. I'm going to stay on the ship. You see, because the ship is, is, is established upon the chief cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. And when it's solidified on the rock, it doesn't matter what comes its way. It doesn't matter what happens in this world. The safest place I can be is in the ship. The safest thing I can do is get to the rock. Let the winds blow and let the storms rage. This is the best thing that I've ever done before. You see, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 20, uh, four, I believe it is, or 27, rather, it says that the coney are but a feeble folk, yet make they their house in the rock. Now, I'll be honest, I didn't know what a coney was. I know it wasn't talking about a hot dog. I did a little research on a coney. And a coney was native to the geographical region of this time. A coney was basically a rabbit-like creature with no tail. And it had the skin of, an, of a rhinoceros, a very thick, hard skin. It was a small creature, 
And it had no clause. It had no defense mechanism. That's why the Bible says it was feeble. It existed there in that region. But, but when, when trouble came, when a predator came, when storms came, it couldn't dig in the ground. It, it couldn't fight. It, the only option it had was I got to get to the rock. You see, we are but a feeble folk. And the only option we have when storms come and when trouble comes is lead me to the rock that is higher than I, the safest place I can be. Oh, somebody's going to get a hold of this this morning. Uh, you can't fight your way through it. Uh, you can't claw your way through it. Uh, you can't figure it out. Uh, if you'll just get on the ship, uh, if you'll just get on the ship, uh, everything is going to be all right. Best decision I ever made in my life was to get on the ship. And when you got on the ship, you made the right decision. When you started living for God, you made the right decision. It's easy, though, to let what we're going through affect our mind and mess with our thinking. And, it, and pretty soon we'll start missing a service here or, or a service there, and it starts building. It's easier to miss when you miss once or twice. And it, it starts affecting my commitment to the ship. And see, when, when I start thinking of everything that I went through, I read of a story of a man named Carlos Hathcock. Any of you who have ever served in military service, especially the Marines, Carlos Hathcock is regarded as one of the greatest Marines that has ever lived. He, was, he had won multiple times uh, the, the uh, challenges, if you please, of, of being a sniper. and he, he could shoot and hit his target over a mile away. Carlos Hathcock wrote many books, but there was something in his life that, that just struck out to me. It was in the Vietnam War that they were having problems with a Vietnamese sniper. And they came to Carlos Hathcock and they said, we need you to take this guy out. He's wreaking havoc on all of our military. Nobody can find him. We need you to, we need you to help take him out. So he said, okay. So he, he and along with the spotter spent days in the jungle, uh, in the Vietnamese jungle. And, and one day, in the middle of the day, in the middle of that jungle, he spotted... Just a little gleam of light over 2,000 yards away. Him and his spotter looked at it. And the only thing they could figure was that that was the, the enemy. That was the guy they was looking at. So he pulled up his gun and he focused his, his, his scope right on that beam of light. And he pulled the trigger and the light went out. The glare stopped. And when they found the guy, the bullet went through that gleam of light, which was the scope, and into the guy's eye and killed him. The guy had his scope set on Carlos Hathcock. Carlos Hathcock pulled the trigger just a little bit before the guy did, and Carlos Hathcock emerged victorious. So after this incredible feat, they said, we need you to take out a general. And so he began to study aerial photos and the layout of the land and he had calculated that he would have to have a 1,600-yard army crawl to get to a six-inch ravine where he would lay and he would wait on the general to walk out to this one post and he would take his shot. Three days 
Carlos Hathcock crawled, never stopping, moving a muscle. He said in his book that men were walking all around him, but he was so camouflaged that nobody knew he was there. He survived by drinking water out of the lid of his canteen, and he never stopped for three days. He crawled 1,200 yards in three days. And insects got into the crevices of his clothing. Ants began to eat away at him and all kinds of bugs. And, and, and it was there after, after 1,200 yards. He had 400 yards left to go. It was there that he says that it, it, his mind began to mess with him. He had spent all this time on the journey, over three days, and he almost made it to his destination. And he said, everything in me just wanted to go ahead and fire off a shot. I knew that I would give away my, my spot. I knew I'd be killed, and I'd be over with right there. He said, but after all this stuff in my mind was going on, he said, I got in the zone in my mind. And I began to think about everything that I was going through. And he said, finally... I reached the conclusion. This wasn't his exact words, but I'm using I'm using a little creative liberty. He said, "When I planned this thing, I was in my right mind. When I started on this journey, I made a decision that I was going to finish it to the end. And it doesn't matter what happens in my life. It doesn't matter what storms come. It doesn't matter what opposition comes. I didn't start this thing to quit. I started this thing to finish. Because the race isn't to the swift or to the strong. But he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved doesn't matter how bad it gets. It doesn't matter how, how rough it gets. I'm not going to let it affect my commitment to, to the ship. Bible says be not conformed to this world. Be transformed. How am I going to do that? Is I have to get my mind aligned back to what God wants for my life. You've got to get that mind. The Bible said demons have forsaken me. Having loved this present world. Demas, no doubt, heard great preaching, saw miracles, and sang hymns, and he was a part of the church. But somewhere along the way, Demas got his eyes off of what really mattered. Demas got his eyes off of the most important thing, and that was living for God. And Demas jumped ship. Can I tell you this morning that your absence is just as powerful as your presence? When, Pete, when you're here, we notice. You're not here. We notice because other people, whether you realize it or not, other people are affected by your presence on the ship. Paul said, Hey, if these get off, not everybody was getting off, but if these get off, then we're not going to make it. See, you don't realize how many people are being affected by you being on the ship. You don't realize how many people, how many young people and relatives, are, you don't realize how many people are being affected by your walk with God. And if I choose to turn my back on what I know is right, and if I choose to walk away from what God has done in my life, then could it be that somewhere in, in, in the realms of eternity i got to stand before God and God say, look who you affected because you got off the ship. Look who you affected. Because you threw in the towel and said, none of this matters. Honey, if none of this matters, then why did God go to Calvary? 
If none of this matters, then what was the suffering of Jesus for? Everything we do in living for God matters. And I don't want to be guilty of affecting other people. That's why Paul said, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. Stand with me this morning as musicians come. You see, the ship had all kinds of people on it. People of different sizes. People of different personalities. All kinds of people. Sounds like the church. All kinds of people. And it didn't matter if they got along or they didn't get along. I'm not going to jump off the ship. So we got to coexist together because I want everybody to make it to heaven. I don't have to get along with you on the ship. I love you. I just want everybody on the ship to make it. All kinds of people. I don't want anybody to judge. You say, preacher, you didn't read the rest of that story because the ship was destroyed. You're right. I did read the story, though. And by the time the ship was destroyed, everybody had made it to the other side like they were supposed to. And there's going to come a day when everything on this earth is destroyed. And this building is going to be destroyed. And the physical thing that we know of as the church is going to be destroyed. But by the time that happens, it will have served its purpose. And we're going to be on the other side like it was intended to be. <laughs> Except these abide in the ship. No matter how rough it gets. Doesn't matter what happens around you. Doesn't matter what your neighbors do or your friends do. What matters this morning is I got to make sure that I renew my commitment to God. That nothing is going to take the place of God's presence in my life. Can we lift our hands this morning all over the building? I preached to people this morning who've been living for God for quite some time. And maybe I preach to people today who you've never had the Holy Ghost. You've never experienced the power and the presence of God in your life. You've never experienced it. I want you to know this morning that it's God's desire for every single person here, every person, every person to get on the ship. Every person to be filled with the power of His Spirit evidence by speaking in another language. You say, preacher, I don't understand that. You don't have to understand it. All you have to do is believe it. God wants everybody. Maybe you're here today and you've been, you've been slacking in your walk with God. Maybe your priorities aren't what they were supposed to be. I'm fixing to open up this altar and I believe it would be pleasing to God for everybody here to make their way to the front of this building and say, you know what? I want to make sure I'm on the ship. I want to make sure my calling and election is sure. Why don't you step out of your pew today? Why don't you come to the front of this building? Look at the young people lead the way. I believe there's some moms and dads that can come up here and renew their commitment. I, I believe that there's salvation here today. I believe we can get our priorities right today. Nothing matters more than being saved. Nothing matters more than being saved. Nothing matters more than making sure my heart is where it's supposed to be. I'm not getting on the ship. I'm not 
not getting off this ship. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Come on and help me pray today. Help me pray today. Help me pray. Come on, reach out to God this morning and help me pray.